Welcome to the Life Change Podcast. Panhandle Weight Loss Center is a unique surgical practice focused on changing lives. Our approach moves away from the singular goal of weight loss and encompasses one of overall health and wellness. This podcast explores a variety of topics inside the realm of health and wellness, including nutrition, fitness, lifestyle issues, and even surgery. The goal of this program is to inspire listeners to take a critical review of your life as we guide you towards a paradigm that translates to life change. All right, guys, uh, here with us today is Brooke Hemmick. Uh, she's one of our nurse practitioners here at the office, uh, specializes in getting people ready for surgery and then taking care of them after surgery. Uh, so Brooke, give us a short introduction to who you are. Yeah, hi. Um, so I, gosh, I've been working here for six and a half years now. That's a long time. I know. <laughs> I'm still still coming to work. Um, yeah, that's that's my job around here is to take care of folks before and after surgery and and do some non-surgical stuff a little bit sprinkled in there and I love it. I, lo- I love seeing lives change and transform. So what what motivates you? What because um, you know I've known I've known you for six years um, and you do have a you know, a stronger pull to the health and wellness side, not just the, the surgical side. So kind of give us some background on how you arrived there and what are your motivators? What do you believe in? I mean, that gets deep, but, you know, health and wellness-wise. <laughs> yeah. Um, gosh, so I think my own health and wellness journey started long before I started working here. Um, I got into, like, running half marathons and, and things like that and just fitness and what that looked like for me and how could I challenge my body and and accomplish different tasks. And I, I kind of started transforming my diet just after I got married, you know, kind of gained the happy weight and um, that sort of thing and decided I wasn't really happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> and so kind of started my own wellness journey, transformed my diet into a more whole food type diet and approach and, um, and that sort of thing. And that's kind of morphed and changed as I've worked here and uh, blossomed into what I do now, and um, I guess my approach is just more, you know, how's this food going to impact my body, how's this approach going to impact my body, uh, different things like that, and then adding some pregnancies in there, losing and gaining weight there, <laughs> uh, always, that was really fun, um, but I guess my just general approach is not conventional in a way of like counting calories and that sort of thing but actually viewing food as like treatment or medicine for my body and how it makes me feel overall good insight so you mentioned um you went to a whole foods diet so where did that motivation come from what did what research had you done what was the motivator to and and kind of elaborate on what a whole foods diet is do you shop at Whole Foods? <laughs> uh, well, we don't have one locally. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I view a Whole Foods diet as you know eating foods in their most natural form, uh, trying to remove or avoid uh, heavily processed foods. You guys hit on oils last time, so no need to go into that. Um, but that's kind of my approach there. Um, what spurred it was a friend of mine at the time decided to try the paleo diet. Um, and she's crossfitter. (laughs) No, she wasn't. Um, and 
she said, you should try it. You should do it with me. And I, I was like, oh, okay, sure, whatever. Um, and so I started reading about just the benefits to my body, about you know getting rid of some of these things like grains. Um, and that had been a real source of nutrition in my life up to that point. Um, and so my husband was not super thrilled when we stopped eating pasta and bread and all of that kind of stuff and really focused more on proteins and veggies. Um, and it really, I, I, I was just telling my husband this other day, it really just invigorated my body. I had more energy, I slept better, I felt like I could exercise better, and my, my, I felt just mentally clearer um, when that happened. And so that was the first step into uh, my journey. And then, of course, we uh, went primal over around here, and um, I would say you, you guys twisted our arms into that at first. That's right. <laughs> but it wasn't a strong leap. I mean, that was really a sidestep from paleo into more of that primal approach, which is, I feel like, paleo but carb-focused. Um, and and reining in, you know, some of those things like honey or, or maple syrup or that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of how it, it all started. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in general, I mean, it's hard to get into, like, the specifics between primal, which if you guys are listening to this and you've been through our clinic, that's what we preach is kind of the primal approach and, and paleo. I think paleo allows for a lot more carbohydrates. So mm -hmm. as long as it's natural, you can eat it. Whereas primal is, as long as it's natural, you can eat it. But if your goal is to change your body, you need to pay attention to carb load. Um, my general philosophy is if I can pick it, catch it, or kill it, then I'll eat it. So I, mean, I, can't, I can't catch a piece of spaghetti. I can't, uh, I can't go pick you know, flour in its ground state. Um, so, you know, trying to eat things that are as close to how they came out of the earth or were harvested from the earth. That's kind of my overall uh, philosophy. But, you know, with some caveats here and there that nobody's perfect, um, that's, you know, some, some, some tragedies happen uh, in the diet. Uh, but you also touched upon something in there that I think is very important is that it's, you're almost always changing in your dietary approach, uh, and, and me too. Uh, so it really depends on what I'm trying to achieve. Am I, am I eating to lose fat? Am I eating to build muscle? Am I eating to exercise better? Am I eating to not get dementia um, when I'm 55? Am I, you know, what am I, what are my goals at that time? So any insight as to that, like what changes, why you change? Uh, is it having a house full of kids and no time to cook, you know, kind of, Give us some insight into that. Yeah, I think it, yeah, it definitely has changed as my life has morphed over these years, going from zero to two children and and then changes with your body associated with that, like what you need as a nursing mom and, and, and that sort of thing. I think as far as my focus now is, is honestly trying to get my sinking body fat percentage to goal, um, which is challenging. Um, and that's been my focus now, not necessarily how my clothes fit or, you know, going to the beach or any of those kinds of things, but working on my metrics, um, which is not something I had really ever focused on until more recently. And what, what's caused that? What's, what's brought your focus to that? Um, I think just more um, reading and, and research um, into longevity, like you're touching on dementia and things like that, um, 
a little bit of some dabbling into genetics and things in that sort of area has drawn my focus more to how do I set myself up now for long-term success, 30, 40, however many years from now? How do I age gracefully? That's right, aging gracefully. You know, I tell a lot of our patients, you know, my, you know, the in America we talk about lifespan. You know, oh, we, we do so well. People are living way longer than they used to. But I don't. I mean, I don't want to live to ninety if I'm in a wheelchair for twenty of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. All right. So modern medicine is going to keep us alive till we're ninety five. But what is the quality of life in that that time? And that's how I eat, how I exercise, what I do is based on that. You know what. Yeah, I feel pretty good now, but I also want to feel good when I'm 75. You know, I want to be pretty functional. I want to still be able to full squat and crawl around on the, you know, floor. Whatever, whatever 75 year old people do. Um, <laughs> I want to, I want to be able to kill that as well. You know, um, well, this this idea of this podcast, this episode came up because Brooke asked me to talk about COVID after surgery and how to deal with that and what to look out for and and how to help people navigate that. Hopefully, yeah, we won't trigger anything that gets us banned. Uh, but literally, you've had surgery, you're in the initial phases, you're, you know, you're trying to stay hydrated, you're trying to get nutrition, and then boom, you get COVID. How do we approach that? So we'll start off with your thoughts, Brooke. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly, like we're not, we just want to talk about how to handle, how to manage during that time. And I think two things are, are primarily important. One, hydration, I think is key. You know, you're not feeling great, your energy's low, um, all those kinds of things. And I think uh, hydrate, hydrating is super important to stay on top of, especially when we're in that first, you know, three month time period after surgery. Um, and I think, you know, you have a couple of options as far as like really good, maybe electrolyte replacements you can talk through there. Um, I certainly recommend an electrolyte replacement for folks at least once a day, um, whenever they have significant fatigue, COVID related things like that. Um, and then the second thing is, is nutrition. Um, you still have to nourish your body, even if you don't feel good. Um, and I think folks kind of forget because they just don't feel good. They're sleeping, they're trying to recover, and they forget that they still need nutrition to properly heal and um, you know get this weight loss journey kind of spurred and started. Yeah, so we don't kind of start off on the bad foot, right? So you know, you just had surgery, you're motivated as heck, and then boom, now you feel like it's not. Um, you know, before we were talking about kind of, you know, how I approach sickness, which, you know, luckily doesn't happen too often. Uh, but I, I get really hyper-focused on what I can control, right? Can I, you know, hydration or, um, you know, certain vitamins, certain supplements. Um, anytime I get any kind of respiratory or, you know, uh, sinus, I immediately turn to bone broth. Um, and you know, preferably something I make it at the house. So uh, Natural Grocers have a has a bag of frozen bones with a great recipe on the back of it, and their bones are grass fed, grass finished, regeneratively farmed bones. So you're not you're not getting bad you know bad unhealthy finished bones. And the recipe on the back is amazing. 
and there man, there's some really cool research out there, even like influenza, so like flu. Uh, and you know the the idea is that this data extrapolates over all you know kind of res- viruses is just looking at the viral count as you take in bone broth and all the healing effects of of bone broth. And I want to emphasize here bone broth, not broth. Yeah, um, chicken stock. Yeah, it's a completely different uh, animal. I mean, bone broth is got all the the minerals and nutrients and vitamins that you would get. Uh, from that natural source. Um, and if you look at viral loads, you know, pre-bone broth and then uh, consumption of, and and uh, like th- there's pretty strong data with influenza that shows uh, almost a 50, 60% reduction in viral load just by one, one serving of bone broth. Um, you get your healthy fats, you get collagen, you get all kinds of vitamins, all kinds of minerals. Um, so, you know, that's, that's one thing I would recommend for, for folks that may be dealing with this, or even if you're going through surgery and, you know, now the, you know, the pandemic's kind of reared up, uh, again, like, Hey, what if I do, uh, get COVID in the, the post-op setting, how can I, you know, maximize my, my, my outcomes, but also how can I continue down my health and wellness journey, even though I don't, I don't feel, you know, hundred, hundred percent, um, and then, you know, specific vitamins, um, zinc, um, vit- you know, I, to me, vitamin D is probably one of the most important supplements out there. Um, you know, if, you're, if your number's not tickling 90 to 100, I think you need to keep taking it. Most primary care doctors would probably disagree. Uh, you know, they get 30 to 40 and they start thinking you're going to overdose on it. But, I mean, you can't, it takes like 100, 105 to get toxic with uh with vitamin D, and I know some of these these numbers are probably confusing, but uh, pushing your vitamin D to the the upper limits of normal uh, or tolerable. Um, what else do I kind of focus on when I'm sick? You know, all sicknesses. Um, B12, like a stress dose uh, type, B, methylated B12 folate, methylated folate. Um, man, I feel like magnesium. I feel like I'm, I'm missing out on a few that I, I typically turn to, uh, and I know you know, after surgery, you know, you're st- trying to stay hydrated, you know, swallowing down a boatload of, you know, supplements is probably not, I, you know, what you want to do, but, you know, if you want to get back on top of things quickly, then, you know, I think that's probably the approach I would take. Anything else? No, I think, I think the bone broth is, is key. Um, and something our patients can do, especially in, if they're even just in that first couple of weeks out from surgery when they're still doing liquids. Bone broth is, is fantastic. And and not just for recovery from a sickness, but for recovery from the surgery too. I mean, that, there's all kinds of great benefits to doing that. So uh, I love that suggestion. Okay. Um, now, in our practice, the nurse practitioners see all of our patients two weeks out and six weeks out. And I think, you know, what a lot of listeners want to hear is what does that first six weeks look like? What are some common high points? What are some common low points? You know, kind of give us insight to that. Yeah. So kind of just start at the beginning. I mean, I think the first two weeks out from surgery are the biggest recovery period. I mean, you're, you've just had surgery, you're dealing with anesthesia, uh, that kind of thing. Um, low points usually in that first couple of days after surgery people are just feeling tired you just had surgery you're in, your belly's hurt and all those kinds of things um, but then once we push past those first three days people start to really perk up feel really pretty good um, 
and the dietary constraint in the first two weeks probably the biggest complaint I get because folks get real tired of doing liquids for two weeks um, after we push past that liquid diet folks really really perk up because um, you get to eat normally um, have some things you can chew um, so that diet advancement is is something to look forward to um, and then other things other high points you know you can get back to moving and exercising after about three to four weeks so folks are usually really ready to just get active again i mean take hold of their health and wellness journey if you will um and start moving and and getting some cardio in, getting some resistance training in that kind of thing by the time we get back together at the six week visit folks are just pumped because they're losing weight they're feeling really good. Their incisions are all nice and healed up and they're just living life again. Um, and it's always encouraging to see folks at that six week visit because they have started the weight loss um, journey with a bang um, and they just feel good and they're excited and they're ready to tackle uh, you know, what's ahead. Um, so that's kind of a general overview. Okay, and so you know, six weeks and then uh, then you know you see the doctor at the three month mark. Um, so that launching point, you know, people are motivated, they're they're ready to roll, health and wellness, and then you arrive at the three month mark. Uh, so what are some common mistakes that you feel like you see going from that six week launching out into the rest of your life? Uh, what are some common issues that you see at that? stage yeah I think I think common struggles uh, that I see then is that is the shift from weight loss mode into wellness mode kind of getting out of that mentality I think that's a, a big struggle I think mental health in general is a big struggle and in that six to three month mark because your life is changing for the better and sometimes folks around you can't see it, don't wanna see it or, or you know, whatever may be happening. And so I think mental health kind of gets thrown in the mix around there um, and some folks struggle um, in that regard. Um, and then I think from a dietary standpoint, one of the biggest struggles I see is folks still wanting to lean into uh, protein shakes and supplements and we're really wanting them to push past and get into more whole foods, um, getting your protein from food sources. Um, I, I feel like those are kind of the top three things on my mind. Let's let's unpack just kind of the mental health part a little bit more. What are what are some of the things that you find yourself talking about? Um, you know, giving guidance on, c congratulating people for. Uh, what are some of those kind of mental health hurdles? Yeah, I think. Just kind of generally speaking, um, it's tough to make a positive life change in a kind of negative environment, and, and I feel like that is our our current you know culture or um, circumstances a bit more negative, and you're trying to be positive, so you're kind of swimming upstream, um, and I think it spurs some depression, some anxiety, just some unease in folks because they want to be positive. They want to push forward and, and, and do something great. And um, it's, it's challenging in a negative kind of pool um, and environment. And 
advice for how to navigate that? I don't necessarily know if I have great advice for how to navigate yeah. that. I think, you know, where I would kind of throw in there is, you know, specifically my patients, um, you know, pre-op kind of going into surgery, I, I really want to focus on the why. You know, why, do, why are you doing this? Why are you choosing to do this? I mean, having surgery is a big deal, right? To submit yourself to a surgery, there needs to be a why. And the real reason I emphasize that why is there's gonna be, there's gonna be some rocky roads. And I think if you don't have that why, or you don't remind yourself of that why, um, you know, those, those kind of mental bumps, those little, you know, whether it's, you know, a family member tearing you down on your decision or a coworker or friend or social media or whatever it may be, you have to remember that this journey was about you and what you wanted to achieve. Um, and I, I think, you know, surgery, non-surgery, when you, like, let's just take, for example, an alcoholic that wants to, to quit drinking, right? Is that easy? When you kind of run with the same people and all of a sudden, you know, you show up and like, oh, no, I'm, 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 not, I'm not drinking. Oh, come on, you know? So you have this, that happens in, in the weight loss journey too, the health and wellness journey. Um, and so, you know, that this process is not immune to that. And I, you know, I try to, I try to remind people that hey, you made the decision to do this because this is what you wanted to achieve. So you have to constantly remind yourself, this is what I want to achieve. Um, so really important to, you know, going into surgery that, you know, why am I doing this? Cause you need that. Why? I think too, recognizing if you are struggling with um, moving forward, you know, those kinds of things, reaching out is super important, reaching out to us or to your local, you know, PCP or even counseling. I mean, I think those are super helpful things to keep in mind as you progress out from surgery and good resources to tap into should you need them. Okay. So they see the physician at three months and then back to the nurse practitioner at six months, nine. So now we're kind of entering into the rest of my life phase. Um, give us give us some details there. What uh, what are the what are the struggles or as people transition from totally focusing on weight loss, weight loss to more so? All right, how do I maintain? How do I lose more? How do I how do I maximize what I'm working on? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I feel and if like we answer this, I think we've solved everything <laughs> in the world, right? right. Uh. Um, you know, I think every person's journey is just a little bit different, but I think some of the common things to keep in mind is like you mentioned, your why, your goals. Um, I think once you get to the six month mark, setting goals and reevaluating your goals is really important um, because you've achieved so much in this first six months. And so recognizing where you've come from and and kind of getting down on paper, if you will, what what your life looked like six months ago as to what it looks like now, um, kind of a reflection. But then moving forward, you know, what kind of goals do you have look, looking not just six months from now, but, you know, two, four, ten, however many years from now. Um, and I think that's where the journey shifts to maximize your goals. Um, and I, I mean, I think this is the, at the six month visit is I feel like where any of those underlying mental health, those kind of concerns really start to rear their ugly head, if you will, um, because you are now moving into the lifelong journey and not the short term. 
Um, and so it's it's a it's a shift that some folks struggle with making, um, but it can be done. Um, it's just focusing and, and making sure that your goals match what you're trying to do. Um, and I think too, at the six month point, what's really important is that you're doing all the things that we've asked you to do, like take your vitamins. Um, that seems like super simple, but so many folks kind of drop at the between three and six months because they feel great. They're losing weight. They don't need to take their vitamins. And that is a, is definitely a, an important component once we get to that, to that point. And then I think just as a third talking topic is, is exercise and movement. How are you moving your body now that you've lost however much weight? Cause you should be moving better. So does that mean you can now walk to the mailbox and back does that mean you can complete a high intensity workout what does that look like for you and and again what are your goals are you trying to be a bodybuilder here or are you just trying to maintain muscle mass so that you have best outcomes with your weight loss surgery okay so kind of going back to those primal points uh you know because long term this is where i always check in with myself you know number one biggest one am i am I focused on my nutrition? And are my nutritional decisions fitting my goals, right? Because I think we all agree you can't outwork out a bad diet, right? I mean, I, I could till I was like 22 and then it all went downhill. Um, but, you know, really checking in, um, you know, and this is a lifelong check-in. This isn't like a, hey, I'm doing well, I'll check back in in 20 years. It's, for me, it's every three months, uh, probably, probably more like every quarter to every two and a half months. Um, am I, are the things I'm doing really making a difference on what I want to achieve? And then exercise, you know, really, um, and I, I, you know, seeing people at the three month mark, um, I would put the percentage of people that have gone from inactive to active at probably 35, 40%. Okay. Is that, I mean, that's, that's the reason true. I brought you in, so you can yeah. <laughs> confirm this or deny it. That, that's probably true. And then it backs yeah. down at six months. Yeah. To what? Um, I don't know, maybe 20. So that's, that's not good, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, is it a failure on us to promote it as part of your health and wellness journey or just overall motivations in the general public? I think both. Both. Yeah. Okay. What are, you know, what are some, are some of the common limitations on exercise that you see? Like I, I don't do it because. Mm, I think a couple of things, especially in our patient population, folks have chronic joint pain, knee pain, back pain, things like that. So they're unsure of what a safe exercise routine might be for them. Um, but then on the flip side, I think, um, folks are just really confused. What is a good workout routine? What is important? Should I spend 45 minutes on an elliptical? Should I be, you know, lifting weights? Should I, there's so many different options. I mean, even if you just have a gym membership, that's wonderful, but what are you gonna do when you're there? So I feel like some of our patients feel confused as to what what should I be doing? What's What is healthy? Uh, should I be doing 150 minutes like the CDC recommends of moderate to intense physical activity a week. Okay, great, but what, what does that look like for you and how can you work that into your schedule and, and your lifestyle? I think those are the two big things. Yeah, I mean, I know my limitations. Um, 
did I wake up early enough? And did the kids wake up too early? Right? Because that's my that's my workout time from like you know five to six thirty. That's what I got in the morning. And um, you know what's going on in my life? And am I recovering well? Am I do I get up feeling like working out? And that's coming from me. I don't I don't have any limitations mobility wise, but a lot of our patients do have some limitations mobility wise. Um, you know, I to me, you know, if you've never worked out. You know, exercise isn't like some people. That's like an evil word, right? You know, exercise. But yeah. you you hear us saying, "Hey, like it's it's important." Like you, and to me, it's important for a few reasons. Number one, maintenance of muscle mass. But number two, the the epigenetic influence. You know, so uh, we've talked about this in previous podcasts. But you have your genes. Your mom and dad gave them to you, but they're not always off or on, right? So when we're not active, some of the good stuff gets turned off some of the bad stuff gets turned on and the only way to fix that is to move right mm-hmm. and then seeing the downstream effects of that um so to me exercise is something like you, you've got to set it as a priority if you want to get into it if it's not a priority in your life you're never going to get to it i struggle with this yeah, you know all do. of us do right do. Uh, there's only like five or six people in my friend group that i know are so dedicated that <laughs> they don't have to prioritize it right yeah. it's just it's part of my day uh, but most people aren't like that. Uh, then, you know, I specifically think this hurts women the most because most of the family responsibilities fall on women. You know, you, you got a job, you got kids, you got a house to clean, clothes to fold, dishes to wash, uh, mom and dad to take care of. I mean, the laundry list is long for responsibilities, right? Right. Um, I'm not saying guys don't have responsibilities, but I would... I don't know any guy out there that would say that he has more responsibility than his wife, just as a, in a checkbox, you know, type approach. Um, so, you know, and I, I, you know, I have this conversation with Shelby, my wife, a lot. It's, yeah, you have to prior. I mean, I, I as the husband here, I, I need to, I need to check in and make sure I'm giving you that time, giving you that space to dedicate to that. Now, it's all on each individual to take advantage of that that space and. So, you know, those are the types of conversations you have to have with your spouse or, you know, if you're a single mom or a single dad, you, you've got to, you know, figure out how that works in. Um, and then if if exercise has never been a part of your life, it doesn't just, you can't order it on the Amazon and <laughs> shows up in a box on the front porch. Like, this is one of those moments where seeking help is probably going to benefit you a, a ton. And I know personal trainers are expensive but you don't need them for two years. I mean, some people do, but uh, but majority of people like, yeah, hey, I, I check in with a personal trainer, I get a little exercise program written up. Uh, this It was designed for me, it's not designed for, you know, I was gonna say Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he's not a very fit guy anymore. Uh, uh, it's not designed for something that I don't want. Like, how can I get moving? Like, if you're somebody in a wheelchair, all right, that's gonna look a lot different than somebody that came in you know, doing jujitsu that just wants to, you know, better things. So it's a, it's a totally different conversation, but I guess all that said, it's important. So figuring out a way. So the other two primal principles, stress management and sleep management, because I say this to all my patients, but I don't think it ever comes to the forefront of things you need to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. So what would you say that six, nine month mark, how are people doing with sleep, stress, things of that nature? Generally speaking, probably poorly. (laughs) 
Um, I feel like, you know, stress management and sleep management is something that is not uh, talked about enough, um, just in general. And so uh, even in my own personal visits with folks, it's not something that always gets brought up because it seems like there are other things that are our priority over stress management and sleep management. But I think it absolutely plays a role in folks' ability to um, just succeed and, and achieve their their goals in the long term. Um, so what, is, what does that look like for you? Uh, for me? Yeah. Um, well, if I sleep bad, I eat bad, and I don't work out. I mean, that's pretty simple, <laughs> right? I can remember back in residency, you know, you'd work like 40 hours straight, and then you're so tired, and all I ever wanted at that moment was like two biscuits covered with gravy, with bacon and saw. Like I called it, I called it the the big man's breakfast, right? And then I would just go pass out and sleep for my eight hours off, and then go back to work. Um, now, luckily, I don't work like that anymore. Um, but you know, I, I see it even now. Like if I, you know, thankfully I'm kind of nosing out of kids crying through the night, uh, so that's not really an issue anymore. But so say, you know, uh, I'm on call and I get called at 2 a.m. Just that one disturbance. I, you know, I wake up and I was going to plan to work out the next morning. I'm like, I can't, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I don't feel good. I didn't recover well. My body's not ready for it. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose not to. Now, on days I don't work out, I try to do 40 push-ups minimum. And that's like a, I forget, that was a Tim Ferrissism. He interviewed some famous general. I forget which famous general it was. I apologize to that general for not remembering but he said he wakes he wakes up in the morning, does ten push ups and folds and and makes his bed. Even when he was in theater, even when he was in war, wake up, ten push ups, make your bed. So if you don't get jacked done the rest of the day, you you made your bed and did ten push ups, right? And so it's almost like I'm winning. Uh, so even on days I don't work out, I try to do something that says I did something. I did something right, whether it was ten air squats or forty push ups or you know, whatever, whatever it may be. I did something. I'm moving the ball down the field. Um, sleep, just like exercise is something, if you don't prioritize it, it doesn't get better. Right. You know, in, in today's day and age with phones and social media and Netflix and the ability to binge watch, I, you know, hear me, I'm guilty of this stuff. That's the reason I can point it out. Um, you know, if, Brooke and I were talking about it before this. My, my wife and I's New Year's resolution was to go to sleep before ten thirty or eleven. As of January thirty first, yesterday, it was it was the first day <laughs> that we made it to bed before nine forty five. You know, ten o'clock. Um, and it that probably wouldn't have happened if I hadn't stated it as a goal. Hey, I, I do want to get more sleep. Um, the you know and sleep hygiene is a whole other conversation that probably takes up its own podcast but mm-hmm. you know keeping tvs out of your room keeping phones out of your hand uh, if you gotta do work on a computer late at night after the sun goes down wearing blue blocker glasses or i mean there's all these kind of biohacks and ways to to manage your life without you know blowing the candles out at at sundown and going to bed um now if primally yeah Sun's up, you're up. Sun's down, go to sleep. I mean, that's just how your body was meant to work. But I don't. I mean, I personally don't know anybody that can that can do that. I you even said no. when you go to bed before nine thirty, uh, your your husband calls you. <laughs> what's he? What's he call you? Grandma uh, or what? Yes, yeah, old lady. Old lady. Old yeah. Lady. Nobody wants to be an old lady, right? <laughs> I, uh, I do. I like to be called an old lady if I'm. If hey, if it means I'm in bed by nine thirty, okay. I'll take it. All right. Well. 
I just want to point out one thing. I think this is really important, and I think it's for folks who are trying to overwork out. But whenever you're not sleeping well, you cannot kill it, kill yourself at the gym. You're you're being counterproductive, and you mm-hmm. kind of mentioned that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just so important to to remember is that you do have to listen to your body, and you have to be resting well in order to achieve you know an excellent workout. Yeah, uh, and I've become more aware of that um, in my old age, you know, <laughs> whatever that may be. Uh, but, it, and it's mainly through research, like following, you know, if if you have somebody out there, you're like, man, I, I wanna look like that guy when I'm 80. Like, Mark Sisson's my guy. I mean, like, dude's knocking on like 70 and- He's totally ripped. It's like 3% body fat and, you know, just killing it. Like, all right, well, I'm gonna listen to that guy. Uh, what's he do, right? He's not- Dr. Oz, he's not Oprah, he's not, you know, he's just, hey, this is how I live, and this is, I, it's worked so well for me, I wanna tell people about it. And, um, you know, the, the primal exercise plan is two days a week of exercise, and then um, a, thir- a third day of, of moving, but not focused on, and that's all designed because you, you have to let your body recover. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the benefit of a workout is the recovery from a workout, not just piling exercise upon. And I know there are athletes out there that are maximizing endurance. We're not talking to you, right? This is not our podcast for you. But in general, people, like if you're gonna do a workout, giving yourself that that period to recover and then come to the next workout fully recovered and ready to to push it again. And there's there's ways to track this. You know, I, I use a what's a, an aura ring uh, that tracks your heart rate variability um, a stressed heart does not vary in its tempo. So like it's 80, dun, 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 doesn't, doesn't vary. Uh, a relaxed heart, a recovered heart, a healthy heart is all over the map. It's like, don't, 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 you know, it's, uh, so heart rate variability, the more variability you have in your heart rate, the more recovered you are. And this is what, you know, uh, cyclists have been using this data forever and um and it was just very expensive to track now it's becoming more trackable i mean my my garmin watch tracks it it can give you a stress index and if i wake up my stress is 90 i'm like all right no training today i'm just not going to do it um and you and i've even seen people come in with their cortisol numbers their stress hormone numbers are completely zero that's not because they're not having stress it's because they've stressed their body so much that their body doesn't even produce a stress response anymore. That's a that's a problem. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. I mean, that person was working out what fourteen times a week and yeah. for two hours. Two hours. So. I mean, killing it. Like, and then wondering why I don't feel and good. And then sleeping for three hours. Yeah. And yeah. Wow. Okay. What's your favorite activity to do in Amarillo? <laughs> Throwing a curveball. Yeah, gotta throw some curveballs in there. Um. Wow, like with the kids? Just uh, give us two answers, with kids, without kids. Hmm. Well, I think with my kids, something they love to do is go <laughs> go to the Discovery Center. Um, my kids love to learn and, and touch everything. And um, they love it. It's a, it's a good time. It's active right. and we're learning. Feed, feed the ducks and the geese while you're there? Yeah, yeah. If it's warm, we'll go yeah. to the park and, and walk or run or play on the swings play playing is important playing is very important we um yeah sending the kids outside to play is super important it's always been a dream of mine to 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 create an adult play like a park like (laughs) like 
Like take all the things like you see. Yeah, take adults. all the things you see on kids' Why playgrounds not? and make an adult size one. Um, I mean, you could have a winning idea. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe one day win the lottery. Wouldn't it? All right, you and you and the hubby. What are you guys uh, going to go do active wise? Yeah, that's a good um, thing. My husband loves to off road and and four wheel and and do that kind of stuff. So we like to go down to the river. Oh yeah. Um, and. Um, Didn't know that about you, bro. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't drive. My my husband drives, and I just sit as a passenger and take it all in and come home really dirty. And yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a good time. What are you guys driving? What do you? What's a a Jeep? A Jeep. Yeah. Okay, it's no like one of those really expensive non no non uh, road vehicles. No. But, uh, <laughs> man, I'm always impressed with those things. Um, yeah. All right, you mentioned earlier, and then we'll kind of wrap it up with this that you you were kind of getting into the genetics of and something I've been really into for probably the past year as well. Um, because the more you learn about nutrition, the more you learn that everybody's different. And what yeah. what your body needs is much different than the person next to you and much different from you know anybody else. Uh, you know, for I, I think I gave this testimony uh, on a podcast or two. I had switched to a very high fat diet, keto, um, felt great, doing great. Saw a kick up in my cholesterol numbers and some other things, which I was checking. So if I wouldn't, if I wasn't checking, I would have known. And so then I was like, "Hmm, what's what's up with that?" Because I feel great. I lost body fat. I look great. Uh, soreness is minimal. Sleeping great. So all right. So do I quit or do I do a little bit more research into what's best for my body? And so I I started using a company called Wild Health. Um, Websites wildhealth.com, it's a technical one, uh, but it you know it gives you some pretty detailed genetic testing on exercise favorability of your body and diet favorability, and then a litany of other genetic markers that that affect how you choose to live, right? And then so you know that that came back that I had a a pretty good saturated fat intolerance really good fat tolerance and a pretty poor carbohydrate tolerance, right? And I won't go into all the genes that make up those, those recommendations, but then I had to step back and go, all right, well, what's the, where should I go from here? And, you know, anybody that knows nutrition, so a high fat, low saturated fat, low carbohydrate diets, what we would call the Mediterranean diet, right? Mm -hmm. But the you know the American version of the Mediterranean diet is a lot different than what the Mediterranean version of the Mediterranean diet looks like. Luckily, my wife's Lebanese, so you know I have some insight as to to what that that looks like. But ancient grains, nothing's processed, lots of fresh fish, uh, very little beef. And I'm not going to tell anybody that I quit eating a lot of beef, but you know maybe I eat one less serving uh, a week. And that's been that's been what I've been doing for the past six months is trying to focus more on healthy oils, uh, you know, fresh caught fish, um, wild wild caught fish, sorry, and then being pretty being a little bit more conservative with my red meat intake, um, and then still cut minimizing cutting out all processed foods because uh, old school Mediterranean diet there was nothing processed in it, right? Um, that's not what the American version of the Mediterranean diet looks like, but you know, if you want to go that direction, um, man, how did I get there? Oh, genetics. genetics. I was asking you genetics. how you got. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, what's your what's your what was your motivator? What have you learned? What where are you going? What's <clears throat> is there a book? Is there a website? Yeah, um, yeah. I've been reading a little bit on um, 
like Mark Hyman's website and things like that and and on kind of on his email list about just like longevity and and how different foods can affect gene expression like you were talking about um, and aging or anti-aging and and things like that um, it's all just super interesting um, and I I feel like just looking at my own family, um, not having you know an actual genetic test on my family, but looking at like body shapes and and different things like that, like how do I avoid uh, certain things or certain features, um, and you know how do I break out from what is what is in my genes? How do how can I, as you say, like turn off and turn on um, different expressions and. I just think it's fascinating that you can do some of that with food. I mean, you can do all of it with food. Yeah, I mean, like we're so focused on medications and different things yeah. like that in our society, and yet we underplay, downplay how important food really is. And I just I find that so interesting. Well, I think you know, just I don't know if it's who to blame, big pharma, government, whatever. Um, but we we tend to focus on the end result. Right. Oh, well, how much money can we pour into cancer research? How much money can we pour into Alzheimer's research? Because that pulls at all of our heartstrings. I, mean, I, had a, I had a grandma that had dementia, whether it was Alzheimer's or not, who knows, but you know, she, she died with dementia. Um, cancer, uh, heart disease, that pulls at our emotional strings. So I can, you can raise a ton of money on finding the cure for that stuff, but there's not a lot of, a lot of money involved on preventing, you know, how do, how do I, hey, I, I did a genetic test. I'm predisposed to Alzheimer's. I, this is personal testimony. All right, well, do I want to go pour money into how to decrease my detriment, right? Because that's where most Alzheimer's medications are. Like, how do we slow the progress? Like, no, 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 I don't, I don't want to get it. You know, I, prevent it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I want to prevent it. Like, how do, let's talk about that. And that's all food. Yeah. And we don't ever talk about it. You know, you, hey, you got diabetes. Here's some medications to manage it. No, no, no. How do I get rid of it? And then if I'd have known about this earlier, how do how do I prevent getting it? You know. Uh, so uh, one book I was going to recommend is it's Dirty Genes uh, by Ben Lynch, uh, which you know if you get off into the, you know, what did my mom and dad give me and what does it mean uh, genetic wise. The, the book, it, it kind of addresses the, the really big ones. You know, what, what's gonna affect my health the most? And specifically, if I'm gonna choose to change, what, what should I be changing to? Because a lot of times it's just shotgun. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do Weight Watchers. Mm -hmm. Well, does that, would that program have helped you anyways? I'm gonna do keto. Well, genetically, would, is that the best thing for you to do? And unfortunately, like, you know, intense genetic testing is not readily available. Most of it's, you gotta pay cash out of pocket. It is reasonable. I mean, I got probably the most comprehensive panel ever for about 250 bucks. And I don't wanna minimize that, that cost, but if I'm gonna, if I'm worried about 40, 50 years from now, what is a $250 investment to find out what I should be doing? You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, your favorite book, last question. Favorite health and wellness yeah. book. Well, I'm I'm about halfway through this book I am reading right now, and it's called um, let me look. It's called yeah, the Healthy Deviant by Pilar Gerasima. Nailed it. Yeah. I don't know. I I have no clue I if you said that right or not. I think that's how you say her name. Yeah. 
It's super interesting about it's, I mean, and like the tagline is how to be healthy in an unhealthy world. Um, and so how do you, how, how do you do that? I mean, we are surrounded by a culture that does not support health and well-being. So how do you do that? And that's what she's unpacking in the book. It's, it's been really interesting and really eye-opening just about our culture, honestly, like how we act, how we are. Um, and then, of course, breaking down some of the other things that we've talked about before, which is like the guidelines from our government on are they good, are they not good, and uh, just different. I can answer that one. <laughs> Um, I'm really enjoying it. It's it's a provocative type of read. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Well, Brooke, thanks for coming in. Have to have you back. I think this could go on for like four hours, but we don't want to <laughs> Joe Rogan anybody. Uh, so we hope you enjoyed the 48 minutes, and uh, we look forward for the next episode.